0: You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor in Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor in Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology. Welcome you to the April 2023 edition of Editor's Picks. I again want to thank you for having taken the time to listen to this podcast. This month, I will begin by speaking to the authors of a paper entitled Etanercept Withdrawal and Retreatment in Non-Radiographic and Axial Spondyloarthritis. Results of Reembark, an open phase four trial. The authors will review the important findings of their paper. So that leads to the obvious question. What are the results?
1: Yeah, so the primary endpoint in this reembark was the proportion of patients with inactive disease who flared within the 40 weeks of etanercept withdrawal. That's the primary endpoint. And so people do start flaring immediately after you withdraw, but then at four weeks, so a month after they withdrew, 22% of the patients, this is the period two we are talking about, when they have been inactive disease and now they are withdrawn. At one month, of the patient flare. And by the end of 40 weeks, 67% of the patients were flaring. But then if you look at it another way is what percentage of patient had at least one period of flare during their follow-up. Then you will find that about 75% of the patients flared at some time during this withdrawal period. But that means 25% of the patients maintained inactive disease for 40 weeks after completely discontinuing etanercept therapy which is to me pretty exciting but a quarter of the patients i mean that you have treated only for 12 weeks and they are in inactive disease and you are not giving them the drug 40 weeks later nine months later they're still in inactive disease status which is very good the other thing we found out was the median time to flare was 16 weeks which is Four months, which is also important, also of practical importance. Patients have to stop biologic therapy for surgery, for COVID, for infection, whatever. If you stop it for four months, 16 weeks at an then it appears that chances of flare are very less because that's the median time to flare, which means those patients didn't flare in that particular time. The other thing, another important result, most of the patients, 62% of the patients who were retreated with Etanercept after a flare, reachieved the inactive disease. Inactive disease is a very difficult, stringent endpoint. As of less than 1.3, I mean, I would have gone for asdas of less than 2.1. This is very stringent. But still, 62% do regain the, that status after retreatment, which is also very good. Uh, And 50% of those who regained that inactive status did so within five weeks. So those are very interesting and practically important uh, outcomes, uh, results of this study. The uh, safety results were not surprising. There were no unexpected safety signal. Most common treatment emergent adverse events, as usual, is upper respiratory tract infection, which is what we generally see. So there was no surprises there.
0: Philippe, anything
2: you'd like to add? Yeah, just wanted to add uh, what was already said, that because of this pragmatic design, it's very informative to our daily practice because there have been other trials and surely from a scientific point of view, you can say, well, shouldn't it have been a double blind withdrawal? But then you introduce, because of the placebo withdrawal phase, you introduce that patient do not know it. They think they flare while actually they're still on the drug. And so this here tells you in real life, okay, you stop the drug, you do a flare, you start the drug five weeks later, you're basically fine. And for example, Atul mentioned uh, the COVID situation, infections, I could think of young female patients which are comprised in this uh, non-radiographic stage of the disease, they want to become pregnant. They can sort of estimate now, well, do I want to continue such a drug or I'm feeling really great? Should I maybe continue, discontinue, see what happens? What are my chances? So I think this this pragmatic design really is, is helpful.
0: Thank you, I agree. Um... I hope you enjoyed listening to Drs. Philip Van der Bosch and Atu Diodar, who gave an overview of their paper entitled Etanercept Withdrawal and Retreatment in Non-Radiographic Axial Spondyloarthritis, Results of re an Open Label Phase 4 Trial. I hope you will listen to the complete interview I had with the authors of the paper and read the full-length article which is now available on our website at www.jroom.org. The next paper I want to highlight is entitled Sex-Specific Differences in Patients with Psoriatic Arthritis, a Systematic Review and is by Colts and colleagues. The authors performed a systematic review of the literature up until November 2020 of all studies of observational trials of adults with PSA to determine if there are any sex-specific differences between men and women. They reviewed 31 publications from 27 unique studies that met the entry criteria. Their review found that there were generally higher rates of peripheral disease in women, including a higher tender joint count. Women also had a poor response for women uh, to treatment. In contrast, men tended to have more axial disease and a greater skin burden than women. There were no differences in the dermatology life quality index scores, but across other pros, including pain and fatigue, women had worse scores. Full details of the analysis of this study, including the type of studies reviewed, prospective versus observational, the differences in the individual prose, and the quality assessment of the studies. In the discussion section, the authors suggest that although this study does show sex-specific differences, they do outline what further studi- studies are still required in this field. Classification criteria for lupus are important and the most accepted criteria until recently was, were the 1982 ACR classification criteria, which were later modified. However, since then, new criteria have been proposed. The most recent criteria were developed in collaboration with ULAR and ACR and published in 2019. The aim of the the study I'm bringing your attention to is entitled, Likelihood of Accurate Classification of Systemic Lupus Erythematosus Using the EULAR-ACR Criteria, and is by Johnson and colleagues. And the aim was to determine if the threshold score of 10 as proposed in the 2019 criteria was valid in an independent cohort of SLE patients with early disease. This was a cross-sectional study comparing 1,980 SLE cases and 784 controls. Threshold scores from 6 to 12 were evaluated in subjects with early disease. That is a disease duration of less than or equal to 5 years. Using a threshold of 10, the EULAR-ACR-SLA criteria had a sensitivity of 98%, specificity 99%, with a positive likelihood ratio of 95.5 and a negative likelihood ratio of 0.03. The authors show that the criteria operated well in both men and women and in multiple ethnicities, including Caucasian, Black, Chinese, and Filipina. They found that a score of 10 maximized the Likelihood of an accurate classification of patients with early d- disease with a positive likelihood ratio of one hundred and seventy four point four and a negative likelihood ratio of zero point zero three in the results section, you can find in detail the likelihood ratios for each of the numbers of six to twelve classification criteria, while the discussion reviews the significance of the findings for the classification of SLE using the 2019 ULAR acr SLE classification criteria. The fourth paper to highlight is entitled The Association of Quadriceps Strength and Synovitis in Knee Osteoarthritis an exploratory study from the Osteoarthritis Initiative and is by Gong and colleagues. The aim of this study was to determine the association between quadriceps strength and synovitis in patients with knee osteoarthritis. 1,513 knees from 1,351 subjects aged 45 to 79 years with a medium age of 61.9 years from the osteoarthritis initiative cohort were examined for isometric quadricep strength, effusion synovitis, and Hoffa synovitis assessments. Effusion synovitis and Hoffa synovitis were measured using magnetic resident imaging osteoarthritis knee scores at baseline one-year and two-year follow-ups. Cohort consisted of 61% female. There was a mean BMI of 29.4 kilograms per meter square And 55% of the knees had radiographic evidence of osteoarthritis. In the whole population, baseline quadriceps strength was negatively associated with the baseline effusion synovitis score and follow-up changes in the effusion synovitis score, but not with the Hoffman sinus synovitis score were significant. After reading this article, you will better understand the association of quadriceps strength and its effect on synovitis after two years of disease. The final paper I wish to bring your attention to is regarding COVID-19. It is entitled Prevalence, Risk Factors, and Outcomes of Gout Flare in Patients Hospitalized for PCR-Confirmed COVID-19, a multi-center retrospective cohort study, and is by Jadarora Prak, and colleagues. As can be guessed from the title, the investigators examined the prevalence and outcomes of a gout flare in patients hospitalized for COVID 19. In addition, they examined the factors associated with the gout flare and did this affect the length of hospitalization stay. This was a retrospective cohort study of 146 patients with comorbid gout, who had PCR-confirmed COVID-19 between March 2020 and December 2021. A gout flare occurred in 26 patients, or 18%. They then compared this to 8,551 patients hospitalized for PCR-confirmed covid-19 without comorbid gout who were seen over the same time period they noted that a gout flare was associated with three additional days of hospitalization when they compared patients with gout and a flare to patients with gout but no flare patients who had a flare had higher baseline serum urate levels a lower prevalence of the use of urate-lowering therapy and or gout flare prophylaxic therapy. In the discussion, the authors compare the rate of gout flare when hospitalized to COVID-19 to the reported flare rate in multiple populations admitted to hospital with comorbid gout for other reasons and they review the strengths and limitations of their study. The image in Rheumatology this month describes a 48-year-old woman with a known diagnosis of anti-MDA5 antibody positive dermatomyositis who presented the hospital with progressive right cheek swelling and dysphagia and a flare of her skin disease. CT scans of her face and neck showed emphysema, both of the facial area as well as the posterior pharynx, while chest CT showed a pneumomediastinum and, as expected, interstitial lung disease. A diagnosis of subcutaneous and posterior pharyngeal emphysema secondary to pneumomediastinum from her interstitial lung disease was made, the emphysema and pneumomediastinum slowly resolved without specific treatment. This month's Panorama 360 Degrees of Rheumatology is entitled The Development of Online Resources to Support Medical Trainees in Providing Virtual Rheumatology Care and outlines the development of a multimedia platform to deliver rheumatology education for multiple audiences. This is particularly important during times of epidemics when hands-on care may be difficult. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only my highlighted articles, but all the articles in the April 2023 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print or online edition, which is available at www.jroom.org. And please watch my interview of the author of the highlighted articles not only of this month, but please of uh, the previous months, if you have missed them. They are available for viewing both at our website and on YouTube. If you have any comments or questions on either the highlighted articles or any article in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. And please listen next month to the May edition of Editor's Highlights. Please stay well.